0: Open up your Bibles to Luke 12. I'm asking you to open up to it, Luke 12, this particular passage. I'm going to be reading it off the screen from the message because I like the way that Gene Peterson does handles the passage. He changes the way he says it, and so it freshens it up for some of us, makes us pay attention to it, especially those of us who think we've already heard it a lot of times. So as you're finding your way there, I want to say thanks to Gary Bailey for preaching last week so I could be gone on vacation. We had a good time in Florida. It was warmer than here. That makes anything better, right? Are you in Luke 12? Luke 12. Luke 12, Jesus shares a story, and this is how the story goes. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. And he said to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for all this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build a bigger one. Then I'll gather all of my grain and goods, and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made. Now you can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. And just then God showed up and said, fool, tonight you die, and your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. The passage goes on in verses 22, and God's trying to draw, teach from this passage, and he continued with his disciples. He said this, Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your inner life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God. And you count far more than that. He said, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. Not be so preoccupied with getting so, with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Yesterday, a friend of mine posted a photograph of his child at the zoo. I guess i had gone to the zoo and he, and he captioned it, he said, bottles are more important than tigers. That's his little girl right there. That's the tiger. I've got to tell you, I have never been to a zoo when those animals have ever been up doing anything. <laughs> when I go to the zoo, it's more like not at the museum. You know what I mean? They're just sitting there. I'm like going, ah, that's no fun. This little, this little girl has the tiger right up in her face, and all she's concerned about is her bottle. And I thought his caption fit perfectly with what we're talking about today. Sometimes we have the tiger, glorious, amazing creature in front of us, and all we want is our bottle. Sometimes we have the God of creation. We have the God of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-majestic, all-sovereign, who understands everything, who wants to care for us and take care of us, who wants to provide for us, who wants to work through us, who wants to change us, who wants to make us different than we ever thought we could be, who wants to give us peace in our our tragedy, who wants to give purpose to our pain, who wants to take our, our sorrow and let it bloom into something good. That God. And we want our bottle. We want our things we're distracted by the moment of life that we're in right now getting 10% off of our lipstick at ultra getting the next big episode of big bang or the voice can't miss that can't miss that preaching to myself now football games all right keep moving um children getting our kid from the play practice to the ball practice to the SAT tutor classes some things are important in the moment, but I think these moments, these things like that are the ones that he talks about here when he says, don't be afraid of missing out, don't be preoccupied with all of that other stuff, don't be afraid of missing out that if you're not in play practice, if you're not involved in this, if you're not involved in that, if you miss this cell, you know, don't be involved in all that stuff that you find that you've missed the most important thing. It's like the graven image, the images that Bud talked about, the things that distract us, the things that are small, the things that that pull our attention away from the thing, the most important thing. And it's in those moments that we lose sight of what God is taking care of. And we only focus on what I'm striving for. Do you get that? It's in those moments of like, of like being distracted by I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do this. And when you look at all that you've got to do, it's like petty. It's like trivial. And in doing that and in focusing on all that and working so hard for all that and trying to make sure you get all that, we miss out on what we've been given We miss out on what God is doing because we are doing so much ourselves. I wish that we had a diagnostic tool that would give us the ability to go back to 2014 and start saying, this is what my life was like in 2014. Saying, this is what... I was distracted by in 2014. This is how much time I went chasing down 10% off on all kinds of stuff that are in my closet, still in the boxes, but I have them. They're mine, I got them cheap. This is all the, 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 the TV shows that I didn't miss. I sat through, and this is gonna step on some of our toes. I sat through and watched every episode of season one, two, and three of blank show. This is how much, and you assess the year behind us. And we find out how much time and energy, attention, how much of all that stuff was wasted on wood, hay, and stubble, on things that will burn, on things that are not eternal, on things that are temporal, on things that are now on things that are little, very, very little. I'm an expert at those things. I'm a connoisseur at fussing over the trivial and the momentary. And so here we are in January of another new year. What can we do in January of 2015 to think about the next 11 months, really the next rest of our life, and think about it differently in such a way that we could look back on these, that we could be a year from now. We could look back on 2015 and say, In 2015, I can say that I was more eternal in my way of life than I was momentary and fleeting, and that I was not missing, I wasn't afraid of missing out because the Father, I, caught, I, missed, I, I didn't miss out on what He gave me, as i was trying to miss out on all the stuff that i could get how do we steep ourselves in god reality god initiative god provisions and find out all that all of our human everyday concerns will be met and that we're not missing out at all paul Tripp, this week in his devotional book said it really really well he said this is the struggle of struggles the counterintuitive demand of spiritual life that calls us from our moments, all those little things, all of that racing around, that counterintuitive thing about spiritual life that calls us from all of that stuff to eternal things. Paul Tripp suggested, and, and I would track with his thought, and he says that to escape our moments is to ever increasingly realize that life is not about us but about God and his eternal plans and his purposes and his glory. Genesis, in the very beginning, if you just, if you were, you don't have to look at it, I can, but it's there. I can vouch for it. You've probably read it yourself. The very first words of the Bible start out like this. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He was there in the beginning. It was, he was there. He already existed. In the beginning, it starts with him. And the interesting thing is, if you go to Revelation, it ends with him as well. And three times in Revelation, you read these words in chapter 1, verse 8. Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 1, verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty chapter 21 verse 6 i am the alpha and omega the beginning and the end chapter twenty two, thirteen: 13 i am the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end in other words he goes in the beginning was me and in the end i still am i was here in the beginning i'm still the end i'm going to be here when i was here when it started i'm still here i was here when everything was happening and as it goes forward i'm still going to be there then too it's me it's god he says it all starts with him, and in time, in the way we understand it, it, and in Revelation, he brings all of it underneath his authority. He vanquishes all of his foes. And he sets aside all those things that would distract us, and then all of a sudden, it's us and him. In the beginning was the Word, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in that same passage, it goes on later, and it says, And in him was the life. And the life was the light of man. He is light and glory. If you ever go through and and begin to track with it, Isaiah, when he comes face to face with God's glory, he falls down and he knows That he's met something, he's seen something, he's experienced something that he's never ever experienced before and he knows it's something he can't comprehend or understand and he falls down and he says, woe, woe is me. Ezekiel has the same type of experience. He experiences God's glory in a radical, vivid manner and he falls down and he bows. And you go step into, into Revelation and you find out that when we, as his, those who are redeemed, those who are saved by the blood of Christ, who died on the cross, and we believe that that is our payment for our sin, when we arrive in heaven, there will be a time and a place when He will reveal Himself. And in revealing Himself, we will fall down. Revelation 5 and it says that all, myriads of myriads, every tongue, tribe, nation, and people group fell down and worshipped. At his glory. At his glory. One of my favorite favorite Psalms is Psalm 115, 1. You've heard me maybe pray it. You've heard me maybe even just speak about it because I just like it. It's 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 grabbed my attention. It it keeps it. it it's, it's just a great, great thought. It's what I constantly need to be thinking about. It, what needs to have my attention is that not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but unto your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us. It's not about us. We don't need glory. We don't want glory, but we want you to have it. We want you to have it. As much as God loves us and has blessed us, it's not about us. Our plans are our pleasure. It it is about His glory and His fame in all of creation. And as we move toward that realization, we find that Luke 12 becomes more and more and more real in our lives daily. When we find that He is able and actually willing to supply our every need, and that our wants and our desires will increasingly grow to look like his. Glory. This thing he's talking about here. This thing that you find throughout scripture. Moses said, show me your glory. Isaiah saw it. Ezekiel saw it. Someday we'll see it. This glory thing has this sense of weight to it. Something that is important. Something that is significant. It has this sense of honor. Honor and prestige. It has the sense of esteem and that which matters most. When our moments begin to be consumed with things that matter most, when we, those times when we're chasing that percentage off at a cell, that's times when we're chasing all the stuff that we know is light and frivolous, when we're chasing those things and we've elevated them, when we find that he begins to take that place, we find that all of a sudden our perspective, our priorities, what is important to us begins to change as well. And we find that these kind of things that we chase... God kind of talks about. Here's a few passages, James four fourteen. In James four fourteen, this is what God says about our lives and these kind of things. He says that yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, but because it is just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. First Peter one, he says that all flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of the grass, and the grass withers, and the flower falls off. Job 14 says, how frail is humanity, how short is life, how full of trouble. We blossom like a flower and then wither, like a passing shadow, we disappear. Psalm 39, 6 says, we are merely moving shadows, and all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. Things are moments. Are chasing, that consume our life, are like shadows. Gone. Vapors. On a cold morning when you breathe, it sees it for a second and it's gone. Flowers. They sprout, they bloom, they're done. Grass that withers. All of that stuff, like that, is, is temporary. It doesn't stand the test of eternity. John Piper has said, had this quote. He says, life is short, eternity is long, live like it. Life is short, eternity is long, live like it. Only God is eternal. His purpose is His plans, His glory. And to live like it, as Piper says, means to live for God and to live for His glory. 1 Corinthians 10 talks about glory and he says, whatever you do, Whether you eat or drink, do it all for God's glory. In other words, everything we do should be done for God's glory, for his fame, for his reputation. Even the most mundane of our activities, even eating and drinking, should be done for God's glory. Now that's weird. That's odd. That's like going, okay, how do I do that? Well, I got to tell you, this is what makes Christians weird right here. Because we sit down and we sit down and we think to do this to God's glory and here I am in this restaurant so this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. So I'm going to take out my coffee here at the restaurant. Dear God, thank you for my coffee. And we just make a big scene. And we start acting really weird. I wouldn't have this coffee if God didn't put it in my hands. He didn't give me the energy to do it. We just start being really, really weird. And people look at us and go, wow, I really don't want to be like that is that what god does to you when he gets hold of your life that's not what i want to be and that's not what we're talking about thank you very much cream and sugar thank you that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about doing it all for god's glory i because you know i struggled with this in high school and college my my uncle was a general contractor he built houses and my job i had i had a very prestigious job i drove a large dump truck and I would go to every house that he built, and I'd clean up after every crew. So when the concrete guys came, I came in and cleaned up all the forms. And then when the framing guys came, I came up and I cleaned up all the 2 by 4s and all the stuff that they left behind. And then when the sheetrockers came, I came and I cleaned up all the sheetrockers. I swept up all the sheetrock dust, and I just cleaned up after every crew. And I'd take the stuff in the dump truck, and I'd take it to the, dumps, to the waste place, and I'd dump it, and I'd take the good materials onto the next site. And I can remember thinking about this verse, and like going... How do I sweep out sawdust out of an entire house to the glory of God? Isn't that the question that you're asking yourself right now as well? How do I plan retirement for somebody to the glory of God? How do I check for flu as a doctor to the glory of God? How do I make metal things to the glory of God? How do I plan utility plans? How how do I sell beds to the glory of God? How do I manage property to the glory of God? How do I make cookies to the glory of God? You can go around this room, how do I fix roofs to the glory of God? You go around this room, you're not going, what does that mean exactly, Lord? How do I do that? And I think that it is as simple and as complicated as maybe three points. When we're, when we're thinking about these things, how do we parent? How do we sit in traffic? Some of us need a lot of help. <laughs> Sitting in traffic to the glory of God. I was in South Florida last week, and I was being sanctified. <laughs> three ideas about how we can live our life in 2015 to the glory of God, perhaps more than we've done in 20. 14 so three ideas about that first of all think about this we are always glorifying something always glorifying something whatever we're doing we're always glorifying something and so you look at your checkbook you look at your calendar and you're going to find what you're glorifying those are the two biggest things we have that are given to us as stewards our time and our money And when we look at how we spend our time and our money, we'll find out what we're glorifying. We'll find out. It doesn't mean that spending money is wrong or spending money on things that other people don't have is wrong or having more than one thing is wrong. But you'll know as you look at those two areas of your life, your time and your money. Let's throw another one in there. Let's throw another one in there and say our relationships When we look at our time, our money, our relationships, are there any other ideas that you, you could suggest that say, this is how I can tell what I'm glorifying? Any ideas? Any other things you want to throw on the table? Talk to me. Our thoughts, our thought life. Very good, very good. There's a great lead-in to someone else who could step in and say, our words, our speech. What I read, what I watch, what I listen to, where I go, what I do, what I say, how I spend my money, all these are indicators of what I am glorifying. Another great comment. Ken Sandy, in his book, Resolving Everyday Conflict, says this. When you This is the second way that you can glorify God more. When you draw on God's grace to put off your self-centered attitudes and act on his principles, you put... His glory on display. Your life points to His vast wisdom, compassion, and transforming power. And as you look for God's glory, the impact reaches far beyond yourself because you give everyone around you a reason to respect and to praise God. Glorifying God is not about letting others see how great you are. It's about letting them see how great the Lord is. This is where it takes the pressure off of us to do weird things in restaurants and in public? You know, like we're talking about? The very best way, perhaps, to glorify God is to obey Him and to honor Him and to follow His teachings because the wisdom of God, what does Romans 7 says? How vast the wisdom of God is. And when we begin to tap into the wisdom of God and it begins to shape our life, and all of a sudden, and, and, I'll, and I'll, you know how I am, I'll pick on you, I'll bring you out. And so all of a sudden, when people watch Brubaker back there, walk through cancer, and they go, how does he do that? That's what he says when he goes, I do not want my cancer to be wasted. What's in your life that you don't want to be wasted? What is in your life that God would love to step into and use it as a stage and says, this is what the wisdom of God looks looks like in this situation. That is the very best way of doing all things to the glory of God, is to obey Him in every area of our life in such a way that when people look at it, they go, they handled that differently. They responded to that differently. They are different. Why are they different? And the reason why I think that Ken Sandy is addressing this is because conflict is such a huge thing. When we come into conflict with people, it means, oh, well, then we're done. We don't agree. We can't agree. We don't associate with them anymore. Churches, our land is scattered with churches who don't know how to resolve conflict. Been there, done that myself. I'm a part of it. We in this room have decided to attend here because we couldn't resolve conflict someplace else. Or some of you, one of these days, would be someplace else because you didn't know how to resolve conflict here. The world, when we resolve conflict in a way that honors God, the world goes, no, that's different. That's different. Because typically what you do is you throw stones and you walk away. When we live our lives in the wisdom and the instruction of God, we draw glory to him because we all of a sudden do become different. And then finally, the third thing is this. Is that we just determine in our heart that whatever you do, you do it for the honor and glory of God. In other words, it's like this is the attitude. That when I prepare the taxes, when I I bake the cookies... When I sell the beds, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to do this in such a way that it honors God. That might mean it's going to cost you money. It might cost you sales because you're going to say, you know what? I made a mistake. They're yours. No cost. I don't know what it means. You know what it means, though. You know what it means that sometime or another, honoring God means that you're going to honor people over yourself. And so whatever you're doing, it's going to cost you something in the way that you honor them over you. Loving others as yourself, loving others beyond yourself. That you're going to honor and glorify God because you honor others, first of all and foremost. In 2015, how will your life count for eternity and eternal things more than it did in 2014? I read a quote this week, a Twitter feed, and it said, if you're teaching on a college campus, put purpose and meaning in your title and they'll flock to it. People want to matter people want purpose now there are some college students in here others of you can't remember college but we still want purpose we still want our lives to matter in orienting ourselves from the tv guide from the football game from the sales from our children's schedules from whatever it may be to eternal things gives purpose and makes our lives matter for eternity. I have a hymn that I really, really, really like. And many of you probably know it. it goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray.